When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Joining me today is filmmaker, horror aficionado, and writer for the Something Scary podcast and show, Sabina Graves. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to be here. Welcome to our super spooky nocturnal spectacular. (laughs) It's actually a lot cuter than I expected it would be as I was researching. Just it turns out a lot of nocturnal animals are cute little babies. (laughs) Sabina, what draws you to the horror genre? Oh, uh, I just grew up watching a lot of scary movies and being very much into like, you know, the comic book world of things. Uh, I actually have a really big affinity for bats, oh, yeah. um, which I know are like, you know, the, the most known nocturnal animals. Yeah, I love bats too. We actually had a whole episode on bats I think it was called Batty for Bats. And yeah, bats are fantastic. They're one of the most diverse group of animals in the world. They're just, there's so many different species. They have this amazing divergent anatomy that I, I absolutely love. Today, we're actually not talking about bats as much. So you're going to f- meet some new creatures of the night. Yeah. And first, I kind of want to talk about what being nocturnal means and why there are different types of activity patterns. So there's actually more than just being diurnal and nocturnal. So diurnal being kind of what us humans do. So being active during the day and inactive at night, nocturnal being active at night and inactive during the day, there are other types of activity patterns. So there's crepuscular which is being most active at twilight. I'm not talking about vampire sexy book. (laughs) So from dusk to sunset and from dawn to sunrise. So some examples are actually some species of bats aren't really nocturnal. They're more crepuscular because they come out during twilight. There's also rats and hamsters and jaguars and deer and many other animals. So lots of animals love this kind of twilight Period of time because they get to capitalize on having some light, but maybe being awake at a time where other animals aren't quite awake yet. 
maybe being able to take advantage of the the temperature being sort of more moderate, like not too cold, not too hot. So yeah, it's it's a interesting period of time. I think that we don't think of that much in terms of, you know, we think oh you're either nocturnal or you're awake during the day, but there are actually little niches of times that animals sometimes capitalize on. There's also cathemeral, which is it sounds like a really kind of mystical word, cathemeral. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little bit like a ghostly catheter. <laughs> <laughs> but it is actually defined as being sporadic activity throughout a 24-hour period. So some primates are cathemeral. There's some guesses about early humans being more cathemeral, like we would wake up during the night more. We wouldn't just sleep through the entire night. Here's a couple of examples of animals that are definitely cathemeral. There's the common brown lemur found in Madagascar and the fossa, which is the largest carnivore in Madagascar Ooh. that looks like a cat. It's actually more closely related to mongooses. Isn't it? It's really interesting looking, isn't it? I love its arms and the grip <laughs> that it has <laughs> on this image and of the stick in this image. It's, it looks yeah. very protective and like brave. It looks like it's that stick is its staff and it's yeah. a mystical creature. Or like from Redwall. Remember the Redwall books? Yeah, it's like the Redwall books. Oh, I, I like, loved those. We're going I love on a those. quest and yes. this is the yes. animal familiar we meet <laughs> before it turns into like a great <laughs> wizard or something. Exactly. It's actually gripping onto the tree branch because these are tree climbing animals. They're Small and sleek and really great at jumping from tree branch to tree branch, which allows them to hunt lemurs. So what's interesting is they're both cathemeral. It is interesting to see how predator-prey relations can also affect the animal's activity schedule. Lions, bobcats, and coyotes could also be described as cathemeral. So it's this sporadic activity. You're just you're basically, you are awake, and then you take a nap, and then you're awake, and then you take another nap, and you're awake, and then you take another nap. And some humans, I assume, are like that, too. Uh, not me. I need to sleep a lot. I sleep yeah. in big chunks of time. But <laughs> So now let's go back to talking about nocturnal animals. So why are some animals nocturnal? And there are a few reasons. One of them is to avoid predators. Many predators use their vision to hunt. So naturally, if you're active at night, you avoid these predators. Another reason is avoiding the heat. So especially in deserts and places where there's extreme climate, being nocturnal is a great way to avoid extreme heat conditions. And there's also sort of the counterintuitive thing of, when you're a prey animal and you're going around at night to avoid predators, well, if you're a predator, then you can capitalize on that and then you become nocturnal, evolve these traits that allow you to hunt better at night, and then you inhabit that evolutionary niche where you are no longer competing with predators during the day. You've developed these special night vision and night senses that allow you to hunt at night. So you can see there's this complex interaction of animals trying to escape predation, but then predators trying to take advantage of that niche of animals that are only active during the night. Wow. And so like they basically just evolved then to kind of meet that need. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of an arms race where, you, you know, you, ha you have predator and prey sort of constantly trying to, to outsmart each other and, and predators too competing with each other and prey competing with each other for resources. So you see animals will basically go into these, these niches where they can compete, be competitive. So in order to become a nighttime predator or even just to be nocturnal, you need to develop some pretty interesting adaptations. And I want to talk about one of the most famous and iconic nocturnal animals to discuss these, the owl. So owls are, I think when you think of nocturnal, I get a sound effect in my head that's like, hoo, 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 you know, just like the owls. Hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> and they are incredible animals that are so... I find them cute. They look like flying kitties, but they I think do. 
I think if I was mouse size, these would be the most horrific monsters you can imagine because they are perfectly designed to hunt you down at night. So owls have amazing eyesight and they have huge eyes for seeing in the dark. In fact, their eyes are so big and take up so much room, they can't actually rotate in their sockets. So you know how we can look back and forth. We don't have to move our heads. Owls can't do this. That's why their heads rotate many degrees yeah. so that they can get that full visual scope. So they can rotate their heads 270 degrees around and 90 degrees up and down so that they can get that full visual space without having to move their eyes in their sockets because their eyes are actually kind of tube shaped. So they could, there's no, they're like held in place by bones. They can't actually move them. So yeah, I know if a, when an owl swivels its head, that's the only way it can see around it. It's so interesting because uh, I, I play Animal Crossing and uh, yes. I actually tend to play it a lot at night. Uh, so my favorite time to play is during the meteor showers when yes. Celeste, the owl comes on the island. Celeste, the owl, yes. She does exactly what you describe. You know, she doesn't like move her eyes. It's like mm -hmm. her head moves and it swivels, uh, does a crazy like star looking thing whenever <laughs> Starfalls do start. Um, yeah. And uh, yes. she's so cool. <laughs> oh, I, I love Animal Crossing and Celeste and Blathers, the, the two owl characters. Yeah. I, I identify very strongly with Blathers. Uh, but <laughs> I saw this meme recently that was like, oh, when you have your firstborn child, you must give it to Blathers. He must have the first of everything. <laughs> You give you in Animal Crossing, you hunt for bugs and specimens and fish, and you give them to Blathers to donate to the museum. So, uh, and then he'll give you cool animal facts. We actually had an episode uh, about Animal Crossing where I went through all the Blathers facts and fact checked Blathers, and it's actually surprisingly pretty good. There were some things that needed some elaboration, but yeah, it's I, I love all of the real life facts you can get through Animal Crossing. <laughs> so like we're gonna go from talking about cute Animal Crossing to some horrifying facts about owls. So the eyes are so big, they're about 3% of the owl's body weight, which is kinda crazy. They're, they just like, their heads are basically just this holder, holding space for these massive eyeballs. And the eyes take up so much space that in some species of owls, such as the northern Sawit owl, you can see their eyes by looking through their ear holes. So they don't oh. have they don't have external ears like humans. They just have a hole where sound gets funneled in by their face shape and feathers. But like if you pull back the feathers and you look into their ear hole, you can see this oval shaped membrane at the back of their eye and you can actually see the back of their eye so yeah it's uh <laughs> you can get stuff stuck in their eye from their ear that well yes but they do have feathers covering it so okay. unlikely but yes <laughs> technically i don't like this <laughs> i just That's imagine right, I the sensation of like <laughs> Having something in your eye, but through your ear. Yeah, Joel. I know. I know. This is a. I'm trying to convince Joel not to hate birds, but this is probably not helping. Oh my gosh, are you the way about birds the way Blathers is about insects? Probably. <laughs> Joel has a problem with birds, and this is just making it worse. I imagine. But yeah, it's like owls... eyeball touching with a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, owls should not use Q-tips. Actually, people shouldn't. This is a thing. You shouldn't put shove Q-tips in your ears. You can hurt your eardrums. But especially if you're an owl, because then you can poke your eye. So <laughs> their eyes also have a really dense collection of photoreceptor rods. So our eyeballs have rods and cones. Rods are especially good at taking in information in low light conditions. So they have a bunch of these. They also have a... Tepidum lucidum, which is reflective tissue found in many animal eyes that they use to refract light so they can see in the dark. So it's why a cat's eyes glow like a little demon at night. They have this reflective eyeball tissue that helps them suck in light and use it for their vision. Owls also use their sense of touch to navigate in the dark. So their eyes are specialized for far sight, so seeing 
far in the distance, they're not as good at seeing up close. So they have a bunch of bristles on their face, just like cat whiskers, that help them sense things in their immediate surrounding. Like something makes the, the bristles on their face vibrate, they sense that they know something is close. So then they are using touch, which is another great adaptation to be able to see in the dark. Sound, they are highly adapted to be very, very good at hearing, highly sensitive hearing. Like I was talking about, they have those just basically ear holes covered by feathers. Their heads are shaped to divert sound into their ear holes. So it's kind of this like disc shape that has this way of like acoustically funneling in sound into their ears. They also have asymmetry in their ears. So some species of owl will have one ear hole higher than the other so that they can gauge distance and location more precisely. So an example is the barn owl's right ear hole is lower than the left. So it's closer to the ground. And what happens if sound is louder in that ear hole, they know it's coming from the ground. And so they use that to be able to precisely pinpoint like the little scuttling of a mouse. It's kind of fascinating and scary how good they are at exactly pinpointing where something is. They're like the most oh, advanced. Sure. Yeah. I had a really weird, probably terrible dog parent moment recently where um, my husband and I went to go look at the meteor shower at a Malibu State Creek. Oh, fun. Like, parking lot and stuff and some of like the area was a little open and we decided to walk our dog <laughs> right outside our car and literally a barn owl flew right overhead us like very closely Ooh. and I was like oh I probably should not have had my my very small dog out in the middle of the <laughs> night where it could be mistaken for a small animal so <laughs> what kind of dog have a, a shih tzu mix ah yes yeah. perfectly snack sized yeah so i was like i am a terrible parent like i <laughs> <laughs> that was an awful call but um nature is majestic i saw the majestic wings yeah right above me i was like whoa it's celeste and it's a meteor shower <laughs> but also i'm gonna go put my dog in the car now. and it's here to eat your little fun-sized dog <laughs> that's adorable and also scary but cute and scary so a nocturnal owl's brain can create a complex map based on sound and use it to exactly zero in on its prey. And it has these really soft feathers that allows it to fly very quietly, almost silently. I don't know. Did you hear that owl coming from far away? Or no. Did you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, wings. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, right, owl. Small right, dog and owl. Yes. Not walking my dog yeah. outside near the wilderness anymore. <laughs> Usually the only time I know that an owl is nearby is rustling of leaves in a tree. Like it's landed completely silently, but then the tree kind of rustles and I look up and suddenly an owl has appeared. So let's let's summarize the owl. It has soft feathers so it can glide noiselessly through the air it has incredible vision with giant eye tubes that can see really far in the dark it's got hearing that has been designed in order for it to exactly pinpoint where a sound is coming from this all creates the perfect nighttime killing machine uh, and they're adorable. <laughs> Sabina, how would you turn this owl into a monster? Oh, my God. <laughs> would she need to? No. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think I would need to. It's like it it hunts your pets, you know? I think that's like yeah. a very terrifying logline right there. If it was like a horror villain called the Owlman, the Owlman? Owlman. Owlman. Uh, yeah, what, what, what would it be? What would be its M.O. and what would be sort of its its whole killing pattern? Oh, man. I mean, like, I, I would like to do some body horror with it as well, you know, because I would just imagine someone developing, a, like, owl eyesight and mm. abilities and, like, sprouting out feathers. So I definitely <laughs> feel like Cronenberg with it a little bit with a transformation yeah. similar to, like, the fly um, and have them, you know, go out and start, like, hunting for things to eat mm, maybe i love that be like a cryptid similar to like a mothman yeah 
Would it have the owl's freaky, long, ugly legs? <laughs> <laughs> when you lift a f- owl's feathers up from its butt and you lift it up, it actually has really long, strong legs because it can take off from basically a sitting position and then suddenly take off because it has these very powerful legs. So yeah, it, it has a nice set of gams under all those feathers. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I really like that idea, Sabina. I want to see that. I think that's perfect horror thing of, can you imagine a human being who can't move their eyes? They can only move their head. So it's, and and then they can turn their head 270 degrees around. So their eyes don't move, but their head twists in your direction. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. I want to see. I love it. I do too. Make it happen. I might, I might actually, I might actually make that happen now. If you do, let me know, and I want to yeah. listen. Want to listen to a radio drama about a spooky owl, owl person. <laughs> owl trivia time! Did you know that those ear tufts, the feathery bits that stick off of an owl's head, aren't ears at all? They're just feathers. Their real ear holes are actually behind their eyes. The great horned owl has an impressive set of feathery tufts that certainly look like cat ears, but they have nothing to do with hearing. Why do they have them? Well, the scientific jury is out, although there's some speculation that these tufts, called plumicorns, are used in social communication by lowering and raising them based on the owl's mood. Whatever their purpose, these plumicorns seem to help the owls in some way, so I guess owls well, that ends well. When we return, we're going to discover some nocturnal animals from your deepest dreams or darkest nightmares. You be the judge. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Imagine you're taking a stroll during the cool dark night. Well, I have some bad news for you. You're not alone. There are burrowing, bulging-eyed, sex-crazed critters who are barking mad, and a furry, flying, nighttime creature the size of a koala, and a carnivore with long, bony fingers and giant, greedy eyes. Sabina, now I want to talk about nocturnal animals that I will bet you've never heard of and probably a lot of people have never heard of and they seem like they come right out of a fever dream and I feel like you will appreciate this as a creative person who likes to come up with horror elements. Unfortunately I find them all really cute. I couldn't help it. These were all (laughs) adorable 
but still, it's. I think there's like some creepy cuteness that could be kind of mixed in, but it, I love it is... creepy cuteness. <laughs> I'm very excited. Yes. <laughs> so first, I want to talk about things that go bumping uglies in the night. Ding do 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 do. So we talked about the owl and all of its fantastic adaptations, but one adaptation it doesn't really have is a sense of smell and taste. But unlike them, reptiles like snakes and lizards use special receptors on their tongue to, quote, taste the air. So it's, it's sort of like a sense of smell and taste that they use to detect things nearby. And this is used by a little sex-crazed lizard called the barking gecko, which uses its tongue to smell and taste the air to help it detect predators at night because it likes to use nighttime from everything from hunting to a one-night stand, mostly a one-night stand. It, yeah, these are, they are little Casanovas. It looks so small. About how big would you say they are? Because I see its head. Yeah, they're pretty small. They're only about two inches or five centimeters long. They have little stubby heads. They look a little bit like a turtle head. And they have these fat little tails. And those fat tails actually is a fat store that allows them to store up nutrients for later. And they are a tan rust color. Often they have little spots. They're very cute. And they have these big eyes with pupils that can be little slits. And then they can dilate to almost encompass their whole eye. So... (laughs) They live in hot deserts in southern Africa. They're actually a whole genus of small lizards called the barking geckos. And during the day, they like to stay in their den and cover up the entrance to protect them from predators and the heat. And they actually dig down quite a bit so that they can get down deep into the cool ground. And then at night, especially after rain, they'll come out and hunt for insects. But being such an introvert is a bit of a problem when it comes to reproduction. So males are actually too afraid to leave their dens in order to search for females, even at night. Because, again, there are a lot of nighttime predators like owls and other specially adapted predators that'll come and get you, especially if you're a cute, tiny little lizard. So they will, first of all, taste the air, check for predators nearby, and then they the males will stick their little stubby heads out of their dens and bark, <laughs> making these little chirping noises to seduce females and convince them to come to them to mate and lay her egg. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that the universal sound of uh, calling a girl? Or a, <laughs> a, a <laughs> Potentially, you know, like... Like, what? I love it. I just love the serious little faces popping out of the ground going like, Hey, 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 you, hey. Hey. (laughs) And the female is very choosy and selects only the sexiest of cat calls coming from these geckos because she has to make this pretty perilous journey over to uh, the den. No scrubs for the... uh, No, 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 no. This is not first night auditions on who um, America's got... I forgot. What's it called? American... What? What? The singing one. God damn it. Um, uh, American Idol. America's got... American Idol. American Idol. This is not... This is not the first night auditions of American Idol. She needs a pro. She needs an Adam Lambert of geckos. (laughs) (laughs) so once she selects her romantic partner she will rush over to his den they'll do the business inside of his den and then she kicks him out like all right this is my den now this is my den now now. she has done him the favor of coming over to make babies with him he didn't leave (laughs) at all he just like stayed in his man cave and was like hey you want to come over and she's like great okay now this is mine you get out, and so he will oblige, he'll leave, and go dig himself a new den. And so this is kind of, it's actually a pretty equitable trade-off, because the female is taking this risk and going all the way over to his den. He doesn't have to take that risk, 
But then he does get to pass on his genes by mating with her. And so once he's exited, sure, like he has to go out and expose himself and build a new den, but he's already passed on his genes. So he's won. He's won the game of evolution already. And then she also kind of gets a a little bit of a win there because then she gets this nice new den. She doesn't have to exit and take an unnecessary risk. I love that, though, the rapidness of their relationship where it's like, okay, so let's move in together. Actually, I'm moving in and you're moving out. So (laughs) bye. (laughs) So now let's go from the scaly nighttime cuties to one of the fluffiest animals I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks, when I saw this picture, and I've seen a lot of animals, I was like, no, this is a stuffed animal. Like, because, like, that, that sometimes it's happens. So fluffy. <laughs> there are these viral images of an animal, and it's like, wow, look at this animal. It turns out it's fake. I was like, these are fake. Looked into it. Nope. Real, real animals. So, this is the Australian Greater Glider. And it is, looks like a fluffy teddy bear plus a koala plus a squirrel with a tail that looks like a giant feather boa. And it looks like a cuddly made-up dream animal, like an imaginary friend you'd come up with as a yeah. kid or like a stuffed animal for a kid. It does not it, – it looks unreal. His fingers <laughs> are so chonky. Yes, yes. It has huge ears. Just big teddy bear ears, I guess. It kind of looks like a Furby. Yeah, it totally has Furby ears. And they are actually a nocturnal marsupial found in Australia. And they range from being an ashy brown to grayish white with very soft, shaggy fur. I will obviously include a link in the show notes, but you have to see this. Their face kind of looks like a little combination of like a mouse and like a bat face. Because it kind of has yeah. like, the, the the V of like a, a bat face. Yeah, it's got a pointed snout, little whiskers. Yeah, it, it's it's adorable. And <laughs> their tails are unbelievable because their tails, they are longer than their overall body length. And they are extremely fluffy. So its head and body grows up to be about 17 inches long, which is about 43 centimeters, but its tail grows to be longer than the rest of it at about 20 inches, which is about 50 centimeters. And despite being relatively large animals, they are able to glide. They're a gliding marsupial and the largest gliding marsupial in the world. So They use their super long tails to help them balance and steer as they glide. And they have membranes on the sides of their bodies that act as like a built-in wingsuit. And it stretches from their ankles to their elbows that they can extend to glide from tree to tree. And they glide by tucking their paws under their chin and holding their elbows out as they glide. So it's like... The cutest thing you can imagine. They do a little chin shelf, like a cute little headshot, where it's like, look at me. I'm so cute, and I'm going to glide over to this next tree. That's magical. Yes. And so they are not very scary. They they may kind of freak you out if you're out at night and you don't know what's happening because suddenly this big thing just swoops through the air and lands, and all you can see is its glowing eyes. But they're actually herbivores. They like to eat eucalyptus leaves. They are totally harmless. I think if I actually saw one, I would think I was high or having a dream, having a lucid dream. Yeah. Of cuteness. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like just their pose. Like, I mean, are there, I need to see videos of this. And also, if they could be like Instagram influencers, they would be. But that's the thing, because they're nocturnal, it's actually really hard to get good videos of them or get good images of them. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's they are very shy, even though they are very grammable. Yeah. It's too bad. <laughs> they're so cute. So the next nighttime creature that absolutely looks completely made up, it looks like it comes from a dream, is the Tarsier. So... Tarsiers are deadly carnivorous predators with huge eyes and long fingers that murder their prey at night by pouncing on them. 
and you're making faces because this is actually, despite my description, incredibly cute. <laughs> yes. So they are very small. They're one of the smallest primates. They're extremely adorable, unless you are an insect, a spider, a small bird, bat, or lizard, because they are one of the only completely carnivorous primates in the world. They eat exclusively meat, whether it's an invertebrate or a small vertebrate. Wow, cute but deadly. Cute but deadly. They have soft brown fur, long fingers and toes, very good at giving tickles. They have <laughs> stubby little mouse-like ears and enormous eyes. Their head and body grows to be about six inches long, so that's 15 centimeters. And they have this really long, thin, rat-like tail that grows up to about 10 inches or 25 centimeters long, which is kind of disconcerting when you see it because the rest of its body looks adorable like a cute little little mouse monkey thing but then it's got this long rat tail and they are voracious they will eat up to 10 percent of their body weight every day so their eyes are much bigger than their stomach and actually their eyes are bigger than their brain oh. so their brain is literally smaller than their eyeballs, and their eyes are huge, which allows them to see in night in very low light conditions. And much like the owl, they have trouble actually moving their eyes in their heads, and instead of that, they just move their heads. So they can move their heads 180 degrees around instead of moving their eyes in their socket. And they also have an extremely keen sense of hearing. Like as cute as they are to us humans, if you're a little invertebrate, these are little monkey rat demons that can swivel their heads like Linda Blair, can hear <laughs> and see you in the dark, and they can grab you and pounce, and they have these really long fingers to get in little crevices so they can just snatch you right up. So yeah, kind of horrifying, but to humans, very cute. Very cute, but also like, you know, I think it, is trustworthy looking and but i'm also not surprised that they can get very handsy and dangerous mm -hmm. they're found in southeast asia typically on islands and they are arboreal so they live in trees and they are small so they are prey to many predators but they don't as cute as they look and innocent as they look they do not make themselves easy prey so they typically live in groups with one male and multiple females. But when it comes to fending off predators, they will join forces like the end of Avengers Endgame and just gang up on this predator and shriek at it and attack it. So unrelated groups of Tarsiers will come together and kick predator butt and scream at it and attack it. And it's... <laughs> it's quite I, I I love that they they just look so cute and unassuming, but they take no bullshit. How would you incorporate the Tarsier into a horror story? Okay, so for the Tarsier, you know, I just would like this idea of distilling certain like abilities from these nocturnal animals for like a like a scary thing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it's so freaky that. It is so small and so cute, but it is, like, vicious and carnivorous. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, also it would be fun to, like, <laughs> see what would happen if, like, this animal was, you know, uh, blown up to be bigger size. Yes. It's like a giant <laughs> version of it. Would it eat human? Because it probably would. Oh, yeah. absolutely it would. I I love that idea because that reminds me a lot of a lot of these B-horror movies, like the... The Killer Shrews, I think, was one of them. <laughs> Just these movies where the premise is you take an ordinary-sized animal and make it big, and now it's killing everyone. But absolutely, these would be horrifying because they could find you in the dark. They have super hearing, super sight, mm -hmm. and these very long fingers. Long fingers. Long, <laughs> knobbly, yes. little skeletal-looking fingers, yeah. they And then these really long, rat-like tails. I also imagine sort of a like a human version of this with giant eyes a head that rotates 180 degrees and really long fingers again it's kind of like a cryptid sort of thing like you know 
the the tarsier the island person. Tarsier. Yeah. There's a group of people that went a trip to this island. Yeah. And this island is inhabited by all of these like humanoid uh nocturnal animal hybrids. <laughs> kind of a sci-fi or fantasy book where it's like humans being forced to readapt as being nocturnal. I feel like we would potentially have these adaptations like get huge eyes and long fingers and like maybe sort of weirdly placed body hair and whiskers to like be able to sense things in the night. And we yeah, would it's... do a lot of clicking sounds to mate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight cat calls. <laughs> Tarsiers are a strange sort of primate, not only due to their looks, but their brains. Their brains are so structurally different from other primates, including lemurs, monkeys, and of course apes, neuroscientists suggest that these little guys are a blast from the past. An independently evolved line of primates from one of the earliest primate ancestors. It's too bad they're not more evolved because those long fingers could play the hell out of a piano. When we return, we're going under the sea. Because the night's better down where it's wetter in the night sea. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. From Cthulhu to the Kraken, there are many terrifying beasts we imagine coming from the depths of the ocean. But what really happens in the ocean at night? Is it dark and full of terrors, or a glowing wonderland? I think one thing that is not exploited that much, in both in terms of like horror movies and when we think about the night and nocturnal life, is the ocean. Uh, we think about nocturnal animals as like some kind of cat lurking in the dark with the shiny eyes but thinking about what happens in the ocean at night is it's just not as imagined as much and I think part of that is it's so hard to study the ocean at night because it's so hard to get any light down there it's very dark I feel like there aren't that many horror movies that actually deal with the ocean at night I know that there's Jaws but they didn't really focus on the nighttime aspect of it what else is there? There are a lot of shark movies. There are a lot of like, I think there are maybe uh, a couple of films that do go into like, you know, deep oceanic uh, aquatic monster work. I mean, there's always, you know, like the Cthulian sort of thing. Right. Um, and yeah, like the giant shrimp, shrimps, giant shrimps. Giant shrimp. I got giant shrimp from maybe I'm imagining what I'd like for dinner later. Um, the giant squids. Um, one of the most recent films that did kind of do a little bit of like a deep sea creaturey sort of uh, monsters 
was uh, Aquaman, which is which was directed oh, really? by, by James Wan, more in like a comic book form. So I don't really right. know if they're too like true to the real like horrors of the deep, but it did uh, give a really fantastical interpretation of the sort of creatures that are you know just way down that yeah way terrifying and prehistoric even yeah there's even there's a specific scene in aquaman where they're on a boat and just a swarm of just like freaky looking deep sea creatures are like all around this ship and i thought it was way more that's awesome a single great white (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't find sharks that scary i love sharks maybe that's partially why i i do love the movie jaws sharks don't fill me with fear obviously if i was face to face with a shark i would like poop my pants but just conceptually sharks don't scare me but the idea of being in the ocean at night not being able to see even if you could breathe like you're in scuba gear or like say you're in a submarine the idea of being surrounded by darkness and maybe sensing something like creep across your arm and you can't see anything and then just seeing like glowing spots of bioluminescence i love that and also like if you watch footage of deep sea submarines where they just have this one spotlight coming from the submarine and then a deep sea creature just slowly creeping into the spotlight it just like i get such chills i love it it's it's the kind of creepy that i love and i want more of where it's just like oh i get such chills thinking about that that's like just a beam of light and then this this creature no one has seen before just slowly floating into into the light like jaws and stuff i mean it reminds me even of like the scene in finding nemo where they're like yes the light (laughs) finding nemo had some wonderful moments of marine biology yeah the the deep sea angler fish luring them in was a wonderful scene i love that so the ocean at night is a fascinating place i think there's so many fascinating things that happen in the ocean at night that it's surprising to me that it's not more entrenched in popular culture. I watched this documentary series called Night on Earth. I think it's by the same people who did Planet Earth or Life on Earth. And it's on Netflix right now. It's gorgeous. It's an absolutely beautiful documentary. I highly recommend it. And I got some of my inspiration for this section and some of my information from one of the episodes where they go look at the ocean at night. It's, it's fascinating and it's beautiful. You really, you really have to look at it. It's gorgeous. But something happens at night in the deep ocean that's absolutely fascinating and it's not well known, but it is the biggest mass migration in the world and it happens every night so at night zooplankton these tiny little creatures rise from the bottom of the ocean to feed on algae and they make this huge trip now these are zooplankton which are teeny teeny tiny animals they are real animals even though they look like flecks of nothingness but they are either small animals that will always stay that small or they're actually larval forms of bigger animals that will grow to be big, and in some cases, actually quite big. So all of these little creatures rise from the deep sea up closer to the surface to feed on algae. So the reason all of these little zooplankton make this huge trip in such massive numbers is they like to stay deep in the ocean, deep down in the depths during the day to avoid predation. They're so small, so delicious that they go down where there's not as much population of predators. The deep sea does have predators who, again, like we talked about on the surface, we have these niche predators that have these special evolutionary traits that allow them to hunt deep in the sea and deep in the dark, like the anglerfish that we were talking about from Finding Nemo. But they stand a better chance down there because it's harder to evolve to that niche. And so they still need nutrition, though, and the deep ocean is very sparse on nutrition, so they have to migrate up closer to the surface of the water where there's algae that does not exist deep in the ocean because that algae requires sunlight in order to photosynthesize. So they go up in order to feed on the algae, and so that makes the 
the open ocean at night during this mass migration, the largest nursery in the world yes. for these larval forms of, of fish. And they are, uh, I'll include a link to, to a photo gallery of some of these fish, but you, you have to look at like, you know, you see like baby lionfish and baby uh, cephalopods, octopuses and squids and cuttlefish and baby jellyfish. And they're these translucent just like they look like fi tiny fish ghosts but yeah like not. tiny fish ghosts <laughs> <laughs> perfect yeah. in california we recently had a lot of uh, bioluminescence on the coast um i even watch a vlogger on youtube named the tim tracker and in florida he went over to the indian river to do bioluminescent kayaking in clear kayaks so yeah. if, oh that's if, wonderful so you go when it's the new moon, so it's the darkest out, and you just see like them just like pulse around the the, the boat as you're going through, and it's yes. gorgeous. A ripple, you know. Yes. Well, yeah, we did just have one in LA. It was in May, right? Yeah, it was early yeah. on in the, in the quarantine days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's beautiful. Like the waves literally glow with bioluminescence. And that type of bioluminescence, now there's a whole bunch of bioluminescent animals in the ocean, but that specifically when it makes the water glow, that's caused by bioluminescent dinoflagellates. So tiny, tiny little creatures. And they use this bioluminescence to ward off predators. And so that's why when you disturb the water, either with your hand or a wave or a kayak, they flash at you. And it's an attempt to scare off or ward off predators but for us humans it's beautiful it does it's just so you can literally yeah. walk through the water and your your footsteps will glow and you move your hand through the water every time you move it they will glow off because they're responding to being agitated and they'll give off this basically they're pissed off at you but it doesn't matter <laughs> because they're they're beautiful so like i said sometimes these zooplankton aren't just permanently tiny, like dinoflagellates are always going to be small. But sometimes they're these larval forms of these bigger animals, and they can go from being teeny tiny to being one of the biggest fish in the world. So ocean sunfish, have you ever seen? Well, you've played Animal Crossing, so you've seen the ocean sunfish in Animal Crossing, right? Yes. They are one of the heaviest bony fishes. So bony fish, meaning they have like, you know, basically this bone, rigid bone skeletal structure, uh, which excludes sharks. Um, however, actually sunfish are interesting because even though they're technically a bony fish, their skeletal structure is heavily supported by cartilage, which allows it actually to grow so big. And they do grow enormous. They weigh over 2,000 pounds, which is 1,000 kilograms, and they can grow up to 10 feet tall, which is three meters. They are very strange looking. They're like these big discs. It looks like you took a giant fish and flattened it into a pancake. And despite growing to be so large as adults, when they're babies, little freshly hatched, they're only 0 0.09 inches long, which is 2.5 millimeters. Absolutely tiny, tiny zooplankton. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, Obviously, we all all of us start out really tiny when you think about it. You know, we're we're just a sperm and an egg. But to see this little gooby fish, this little tiny goober, because oh they because they hatch and they swim around at this size, and then and they somehow have eyes when yeah. they're small, like really big eyes. Yeah, I mean their eyes are big as adults, but just compared to its body, but <laughs> <laughs> they just look like these little tiny beans with eyes and fins and then they get to be gigantic it, it's i'm granted a lot of these guys are not going to survive it's a lot of large numbers for them but it, it is incredible so it's like you see this zooplankton you're like oh it's just like these little small things you know but some of them grow up to be giant which is incredible but the ocean at night is not just filled with little cuties. It is also filled with tiny murderers. So oh. <laughs> I want to talk about the spiny tiger shrimp, which is one of the tiniest serial killers in the world. Uh, <laughs> spiny tiger shrimp are beautiful, colorful shrimp. They're 
orange and black, they only grow to be about 0.8 inches or two centimeters big, but to small prey, they are frighteningly deadly predators at night. They are a very rare species that live mainly in this very nutrient-rich strait called the Limba Strait, which is off the coast of Limba Island in Indonesia. It's this area that's just so flush with nutrients due to the way the tides kind of like churn up nutrients from the ocean into this area. It's got this huge amount of biodiversity. These little tiny tiger shrimp are actually like little tigers, not just in how they look, but their behavior. So at night, they are incredibly good predators. First of all, each of their eyes can move independently and detect distance. So they have an incredibly complex visual system in their brains. So they can take two images from these eyes that can both separately assess distance and make pictures. And then it, all this information goes into their little brains and they create a full map around them, which is impressive for such a tiny animal. It has scales on its body that can detect pressure waves from fish. So if their incredible eyesight doesn't do it, if it's an especially dark ocean night, they can find fish in almost total darkness. So it's almost like a sonar sort of thing? So they have these like pressure plates on their body. And then as something comes in, like basically a fish moves around, it changes the water pressure and then it hits their scales, they know where that fish is. And sonar, meanwhile, you're actually sending out, it's it's what uh, dolphins and bats use, where you're sending out a pulse and it bounces off something and comes back to you. This, they don't even have to send anything out. They just passively wait for vibrations in the water to hit these, these pressure scales on their body. Whoa. So they can also strike extremely quickly and act as ambush predators where they sneak up on a fish and then just grab them like their tiger namesake. So they are, yeah, they're teeny tiny deadly tigers that can not only see in the dark, but they can literally feel you in the dark. And then one last nighttime ocean animal I want to talk about is maybe the funniest. To me, it's extremely funny because they look like angry demon fish. And, and these are called flashlight fish. It is a nocturnal family of fish, and they have a pouch of bioluminescent bacteria under its eyes that glow. And it looks like, you know, like how the Spider-Man mask is where it has like these glowing, like he's got kind of glowing angry eyes on his mask. It looks like that Spider-Man fish. They look like Spider-Man Noir. From, yes. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. They look so angry because it's basically like it's a half disc under their eyes. But you look at it, it looks like these mad little demon glowing fish. Or even like Venom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does look like Venom. Yeah. So these glowing spots are likely used to either communicate attract prey or ward off predators because these aren't huge fish they're about they're a little bit they're they're like less than the length of like a human hand um they look incredibly menacing and you know there there's a it's i don't know if it's entirely known why they have these glowing spots other than sort of the the guesses of it's probably to attract prey it's probably to communicate and it's probably to ward off predators my guess would be it also implies a much bigger animal because they look like huge eyes. You're like, oh, man, you, you must be a big animal. So like in yeah. the dark, you just see these pair of angry, huge eyes coming at you. Do they tend to travel in groups or like solitarily? You know, I don't know. I think in this image we do see a few of them, but that might just be because they're captive ones. I don't think they necessarily cluster together like that in the wild. Because that would be scary if they were clustered in the wild. would be <laughs> just a, a giant... whole squad of yeah. angry demon fish. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're not in the dark, like in their in the full light, they actually look pretty doofy. So they they are no longer look like little demon fish. They just look like a doofy little fish with uh, little bug eyes, and and they look kind of like they've been found out. 
Like when you try to spook someone in the middle of the night and then you turn on the light and it's just like someone with glow sticks going like, woo. Holding <laughs> glow sticks under their eyes. <laughs> so now that we have discovered all of these incredible nocturnal animals, what is your idea for your next horror story? I actually really do now want to create some sort of owl creature that, mm. you know, can't like, move their eyes so it is just staring and like you know can move its neck in the crazy amount mm. um, <laughs> I love that spooky creepiness I actually think we are currently working on something that could lend itself to that uh for our animations so I might like circle back to my animator and be like hey can we make this creature do this really <laughs> cool owl thing yeah. Ooh, I love I love that I love to be the inspiration for horror stories yes so, yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Speaking of your creations, do you have anything to plug? Sure. So I'm a writer for the Something Scary podcast and show on YouTube, which is hosted by Marquia McCarty, uh, based on the show created by Sapphire Sandalo. Uh, it is women-led and written, and it's spooky campfire stories where... We'll do like videos and animations inspired by things like cryptids or just strange things that are happening on the internet of like scary news and stuff. Um, and we have, you know, the weekly video that drops every Tuesday, as well as a podcast with which has additional stories that our uh, fans submitted. And we kind of just celebrate all things scary. Um, and it's a, it's a good time. That's amazing. That is right down my alley. Yeah. Uh <laughs> And, and just like for, for me in, in general, I, I love like all kinds of spooky things and animals and, you know, like there's always this misconception of like, oh, spooky animals, they're, you know, like scary or bad or whatever, or like related to like the devil, but that's not always true, you know, I, I really Sometimes like they are related to the yeah, devil, though. sometimes. <laughs> Vampire bat, giving yeah. all the other bats the bad uh rap. No, vampire bats are great. They don't kill nobody. <laughs> they just they just lick a little blood. A little you know? blood. And there's only one species of vampire bat that's ever been known to feast on human blood. Only one. And there's oh. so many other ones. I did have a question though about sure. the giant bat that has shown up on viral like videos and pictures. The, the Indian thing. flying fox? I think, or, or like, I don't know if it's in the Philippines or mm -hmm. Indonesia, where there's like a bat that's like four feet tall. Yeah, that's a flying fox. Wow. They are frugivores, so they will eat fruit. Totally harmless. Bats are a vector of some diseases, so you don't necessarily want to eat them, but they are as big and foreboding as they look. They are typically, <laughs> typically they will eat fruit. And that is, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I find them extremely cute. You can look up a fruit bats eating banana. It's a great video. Fruit bats swaddled in blankets eating a banana. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, culturally, I, my family's from Mexico. So, you know, bats are so important to, to us as just a yes. symbol of, like, fertility. And, you know, like, uh, the Mayans regarded them in such a way that, um, they are a part of life, you know, like because of them, uh, we have things like tortillas or the amazing tequila because they <laughs> pollinate the agave. Yes, yes. Um, they're huge pollinators in Mexico and uh, in South America. It's, there are some bats that are such good pollinators that they will actually become completely covered in pollen. So they look like little yellow poof balls. <laughs> Where can people find you? Everyone can find me on Instagram and Twitter talking about spooky things and things like bats and uh, adventures I have with friends. My Twitter is at Sabina, has no R. You can find me on Instagram at that lady graves. And you can find us on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That is something very different. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Katie Golden, G O L D I N. Uh, just my Katie thoughts, you know, about the general state of the world. So that's fun. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the show and you want to leave a rating or a review, 
I read all of them and I really enjoy everything everyone says and all the feedback you give and it also really helps us because it teaches those algorithms that people are people are listening. Uh, thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or guess what, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.